All right, well, we're there in uh, James chapter number 1, and this is now the third uh, sermon in James 1. It's the last sermon in James 1. We'll be in James chapter 2 next week, and uh, the first sermon, I don't know, I, I guess it was kind of James 1. We, I think we dealt with, chap- with verse 1 and a little bit of verse 2, and it was more of an introduction to the book of James, if you remember that. Last week, we dealt with verses 2 uh, through 17, and we learned about diverse temptations, and uh, this week... Uh, We're going to be dealing with verses 18 through 27, and I want you to remember as we go through the text tonight that the purpose of the book of James, from beginning to end, there's one purpose, and it is to bring you and myself as a believer to maturity. The reason that the book of James was written is to show us how to be good Christians, is to show us how to be mature Christians. It's not really to explain to us the gospel or salvation. Other books in the Bible were written to be able to explain the gospel from, like the book of John, like the book of Romans. James is written to believers, and it's about how to mature as a Christian. And um, we're going to look at it a little bit of it this week. But if, I, if you remember, I told you in the introductory sermon that a lot of James has a, a lot of it resembles the Sermon on the Mount by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 was that great sermon that Jesus gave. But if you remember the Sermon on the Mount, again, uh, if, if you were with us when we preached through the Sermon on the Mount, when we were preaching through the book of Matthew just a year ago or so, um, you'll remember that the whole idea of it was being very practical, was living out your faith, was it, Jesus was teaching us not just what to believe, but what to do and how to act and how to respond in certain situations. And that was, that's what James is getting into. If you look at verse number 18, the Bible says this, of his own will begat he us. Now, the reference here is again to salvation. Remember, Jesus said, you must be born again. The word begat means to be born or to come from uh, an individual. And here we're told of his own will begat he us. So keep in mind, this is written to believers. Begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. Notice verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren. So notice again, because, and I don't want to go back to it, but if you remember, many people will try to just say, the book of James doesn't apply to us. It was written to the Jews. But it, you, you see here that he's talking to believers. And I want you to notice something. And it's not really the, the point of the sermon tonight, but I want you to see it because it's there. In verse uh, 18, the Bible says that he begat, the, the Bible says, of his own will begat he us. And I want you to notice, with the word of truth. The Bible says that we are begat or we are begotten with The word of truth. The word of truth is a reference to the word of God. Notice, uh, look at verse 21, just real quickly. Verse 21, same chapter says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness, notice this, the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. And I don't have time to develop this, but I just want to show you, let me show you one reference. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you're there in James, if you go right, right after the book of James, you got 1 Peter. It's the very next book over. 1 Peter chapter 1. This doctrine is found all throughout the Bible. I, I, you could preach a whole sermon out of just this one idea. I'm just going to show you one verse, maybe two verses to kind of prove the point. Go to 1 Peter chapter number 1. Look at verse 23. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, notice this, being born again, 
Do you remember Jesus said that in John chapter 3? You must be born again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born again. He says, being born again. Now, that's the same idea that we saw in James 1.18. Of his own will, he begat us, all right? Being born again, notice, not of corruptible seed. Okay, so according to the Bible, are we born again of corruptible? The word corruptible means it has error, it has corruption, it's not pure, it's not clean. He says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, notice, but of incorruptible. And you say, what is he talking about when he's talking about the seed? He says, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The Bible teaches that we are born again by the word of God. All throughout the Bible, you find the concept. He says that we were begotten, he, you know, of his own will begat us by the word of truth. Here he says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, I'm making a big deal about it because I want you to understand this is a doctrine that's under attack today. Today, people want to say, oh, you can get saved, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, if you use a Bible, it doesn't matter what type of Bible you use, it doesn't matter if you're using the NIV or the RSV, it doesn't matter if you got a King James, it doesn't matter if you, you could even not even use a Bible and get somebody saved, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that we are born again by the word of God. The Bible says that he begat us by the word of truth. The Bible says that in order for us to be saved, the seed, go to Matthew just real quickly. Matthew chapter 4. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want you to notice. If you remember the parable of the sower, the sower was to take the seed and he was supposed to uh, you know, uh, scatter it throughout the land. And the different lands there represent different types of heart. But I want you to notice when Jesus was explaining what the parable meant. And uh, I'm sorry, did I say Matthew? Go to Mark. I meant Mark. Mark chapter number four. Can't read my own notes here. Matthew, Mark. Mark chapter number four. And look at verse 14. 14, Mark chapter 4 and verse 14. When Jesus gave that parable, as he was explaining the parable, here's what he said. The sower soweth the word. People are saved by the word of God. And by the way, that's why Satan has an agenda to corrupt Bibles. That's why Satan has an agenda to take Bible translations and to say, well, we're just updating the language. But they're not just updating the language. They are corrupting it. They are removing verses. They are messing with doctrine. They are removing the deity of Jesus Christ. They are removing salvation by grace through faith. And, you know, and I don't, I'm not preaching on the King James issue. We've got a DVD, New World Order Bible Versions. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, please grab one before you leave tonight and watch it. And it will explain exactly what I'm talking about. But you need to understand this. You cannot go around just thinking, oh, you know, that church down the street, I know they don't use the word of God. I know the Bible they've got is corrupt. But they're getting people saved. No, they're not. Well, I, I know they're using the NIV, but they're still getting... No, they're not. And you go to these churches that are using corrupt versions of the Bible, and you talk to their church people, and none of them are saved. They all think they can lose their salvation. They all think they have to repent of something. They all think they've got to do something. They've got to speak something, or they've got to say something. Listen to me. We are saved by the Word of God. That's what the Bible teaches. And today, people want to fight that. And even fundamental Baptists say, well, it's not about the Bible. You can use anything to get somebody saved. No, you must use the Word of God. And by the way, when you're out soul winning, it's the Word that saves. It's not your little speech or your little you know, illustration or your little you know, eloquence. It's the Word of God. We must make sure that we are delivering the Word of God. And by the way, that's why when you come to Verity Baptist Church, guess what? You get the Word of God in heavy doses. 
I don't get up here and I just tell you a bunch of little stories and things about my own personal life. I preach the Bible to you because that is the power. Are you there? Can you get back to, you're in First Peter, right? Uh, go back to James, but go past James and into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 4. Just real quickly, Hebrews chapter number 4. And look at verse number 12. Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse 12. Say, well, Pastor Jimenez, do you think people that come from other churches are bad people? I didn't say that. But what I'm saying is we need to take a stand for the word of God. We need to fight for the word of God. It is the word of God that brings us salvation. Our job is to sow the word. Our job is to preach the Bible. Our job is to preach the word. Are you there in Hebrews chapter 4? Look at verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It's right before the book of James. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The Bible says this. For the word of God is quick. Now that word quick, that's an older word used in our King James Bible. It means living or alive. The Bible is alive. The word of God is quick, notice, and powerful, sharp and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You need to understand, and as we get into the lesson tonight that we're going to get into in James, you've got to understand, the word of God is powerful. And it is the power of the word of God that saves us. Go, go with me just real quickly to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, if you open up your Bible just right in the center in the Old Testament, you go right in the middle, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the largest psalm in the book of Psalms. And if you read it, which will probably take you about 15 or 20 minutes to read it because it's a very long psalm, Every verse has a reference to the Word of God. Every single verse talks about the Word of God in Psalm 119. Now, sometimes it calls it the Word. Sometimes it calls it the Law. Sometimes it calls it the Precept. Sometimes it gives it different words there, or different names. But it all references the Word of God. Now, I want you to notice Psalm 119 and verse number 41. Psalm 119 and verse 41, the Bible says this, Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation. Now, notice, thy salvation... According to thy what? Word. How do you get saved? According to the word. How do you get born again? By the word of God. But not of corruptible seed. Not of seed that's corrupted. That's, infalli- that, that's fallible. That has error. But of incorruptible seed by the word of God. Which liveth. It's quick. And abideth forever. But I want you to understand this. You're there in Psalm 119. Go to verse number 9. Not only is the Word of God powerful in the sense that it has power to save us, but the Word of God is powerful in the sense that it has power to change us. I want you to understand this. It is by God's power through His Word that we are transformed. When you got saved, you were saved by the word of God. But the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. He says, behold, all things are become new. When you got saved, a new man was quickened inside of you. And God wants to now use that word of God on that new man and on your old man and try to kill your old man to help you change. You must understand this. It is the word that saves us, but it is also the word that changes us. Are you there in Psalm 119? Look at verse 9. Just real quickly. Psalm 119, look at verse 9. Now, I want you to notice this word, wherewithal. The word wherewithal means the ability to accomplish something or the means. Usually the word wherewithal is used, you know, in reference to money. 
Someone's broke and they say they don't have the wherewithal to support themselves. Because the word wherewithal is referenced, it's talking about having the means to do something, the ability to do something, the ability to accomplish something. Now notice what the Bible says, Psalm 119 verse 9. Wherewithal or with what means or with what ability or with what accomplishment shall a young man cleanse his way? Do you understand the question? How can someone cleanse their way? How can someone clean up their life? How can someone be transformed, become a new man, become a different person? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Notice the answer. By taking heed thereto according to thy what? Word. So what has the power to save us? The Word. What has the power to change us, to cleanse us? Where is the wherewithal that a young man shall cleanse his way by taking heed according to thy word? Look at verse 10. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let, not, o let me not wander from thy commandments. Again, there, the reference to the word of God is commandments. Look at verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not notice sin against thee. So how do I cleanse my way? Through the word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Go, go to verse 105, Psalm 119, 105. And we could look at every verse in Psalm 119. Maybe one of these uh, days I'll preach a whole series out of Psalm 119. But look at verse number 105, Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. See, it is the word of God. It is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the word that has the power to save us, and it is the word that has the power to change us. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Say, so, well, what does that have to do with anything? Go back to James chapter 1. James chapter number 1. Because if you remember, the whole purpose of the book of James is to change us. James was written to people who had already received the engrafted word. James was written to people who had already been begat of the word of truth. And James is now teaching the people that the same word that had the power to save them has the power to change them, has the power to transform them, has the power to cleanse them, has the power to recover them, to make them new. Now notice verse 20, James 1.20. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. You say, what is he talking about when he says there, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God? If you've ever tried to help someone, and you know maybe they're struggling with something, an addiction or something, and they just keep you know uh, going back, like the dog to his vomit. Sometimes you can get kind of upset, you know, and say, well, why can't you just stop doing this? Or why can't you just do this? Or why can't you just do right? And, you know, I believe one of the reasons that the quali- one of the qualifications of being a pastor is to be long-suffering and to have patience is because sometimes you get kind of upset with people. You say, why do you keep, you know, why can't, it's not that hard. Just do this or don't do that or go here or don't go there. You know, it, it, but here's the thing. You cannot get mad enough at someone to make them righteous. Notice verse 20. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. 
Many a wife or many a husband has been so upset with their spouse. Say, why can't I just make you stop being so lazy or stop being so dumb or whatever it is? You know, but hey, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. I can't get so mad at you that it'll make you righteous. The only thing that makes you righteous is the word. The only thing that can transform you is the word. See, men cannot transform men. Programs cannot transform men. Wrath cannot transform men. Only God's word can transform men. Look at verse 21. Wherefore, he says, for this reason, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity. The word superfluity means an excessive or an abundance. He said, lay apart all filthiness or superfluity of naughtiness. He said, I can't change. Here's what James is saying. Because remember, James was a pastor in the book of Acts, right? He said, James says, I can't work. I, I, my wrath cannot work righteousness in you. But he said, if you lay apart filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engraft of word, which is able to save your souls. Now notice verse 22. And here's kind of the lesson for tonight. Verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. And here's where it all comes down. James is teaching the people that he's writing this letter to. And he's saying, you were saved by the power of the word of God. And he says that same word has the power to not only save you, but it has the power to change you, to transform you, to cleanse you, to get the sin out of your life, to to bring you to maturity. But people would write back to James or they would respond back to James and they would say, well, well, we've been coming to church for a long time and we've been listening to a lot of preaching. And we're there Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And we even sometimes listen to preaching on the Internet. And we take those CDs they give us at the end and we put them in our cars. And we've been listening to a lot of Bible preaching, James. But we're still struggling. We're still not changing. We're still children in the faith. We're still not mature. And here's what James' answer to that is in verse 22. He says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. He says, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. See, James is trying to teach Christians that need to mature and trying to help them understand that it is not enough to sit in a service and listen to the word of God. It is not enough to go home and open up your Bible and read the Bible and hear the Word of God. He said the only way that your life can be changed, the only way that your life can be transformed, the only way that you can overcome sin in your life and become a a, a new transformed individual is if you hear the Word and then you do what you hear. Do you understand that? He said be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man. And now he he gives this illustration. I like the illustration. He says, if you hear the word, if you're the type of church person or Christian that goes to church, you sit down, you listen to a sermon, say, that was a good sermon, that was good Bible expository, that was great Bible teaching, I, I like that, and then you go home and do nothing, and change nothing, and apply nothing. He says, you're like a man that is beholding his natural face in a glass. He's talking about a mirror. He says, you're like a person that goes to a mirror, and you look at yourself in the mirror, verse 24, 
For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way. Now there's something missing here. He looked at himself and then he went his way. But the problem is he didn't fix anything. Because what's the point of a mirror? Why do you look in a mirror? Well, I know why some of you guys look in the mirror. You spend a lot of time in front of the mirror because you're arrogant. You know? But what, what are you supposed to look in a mirror for? You look in a mirror to be able to fix the problem, right? I look in front of the mirror and I say, oh, good night. I need a haircut. I look in front of the mirror and I say, oh, I need to get that broccoli out of my teeth. I look in the mirror and I say, I got to straighten up my tire. I got, you know, you look in the mirror and you say, whatever it is that your problem is, you look at the mirror and you say, oh, that's not good. You know, why did anybody tell me that I had that there? The purpose of looking in a mirror is so that you can identify Identify the problems, the mistakes, the issues, the things that are embarrassing in your appearance. And you can fix those things before you go on your way. And you say, well, what would be the point of looking at a mirror so you can say you looked at a mirror and then go your way and straightway forget what matter of man you were? You say, what is the point of doing that? I don't know. Why would someone come to church and listen to preaching and then go on their way and never apply what they hear? Say, that's dumb. I know. Why would you look in a mirror and not apply not fix what you see. Well, why do we look at the Word of God and as it shows us and identifies the errors in our lives, why do we not apply and do the things that we're told? I mean, notice what he says, verse 23. For if any be a hearer of the Word, not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, and he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and notice, and straightway, that means immediately forgetteth what manner of man he was. See, when you look in the mirror and you see the broccoli in your teeth, just go ahead and take it out now because you're going to forget about it. And he says, when you look at the Word of God, the mirror of the Word of God, and you are identified, something is identified, a problem in your life is identified, you are to fix it immediately. Because otherwise you're just looking in a mirror for no reason because you're not fixing anything. Can you go to Matthew chapter 7? Remember I told you this, James was a lot like the Sermon on the Mount. James chapter, Matthew chapter 7 is the last chapter of the Sermon of the Mount. I would encourage you to read the Sermon on the Mount if you're not familiar with it. It starts in chapter 5 of Matthew, and it goes through Matthew 7, and Jesus gives us all this great teaching about how to be a good Christian and how to be a mature type of Christian. And Jesus finishes his sermon with the same idea that James is giving us here, In James chapter 1, notice what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Notice what Jesus said. He says, therefore, Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine. He says, you've listened to my sermon. Jesus said, I just got done preaching to you. He says, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. So you hear it and then you go and you do it. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Now, that rock is Jesus Christ. That rock is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word. He says, if you hear my sayings and you do them, you are like a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Verse 25. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew. These are the storms of life. These are the trials. Remember, we talked about diverse trials and temptations. The rain descended, the flood came, the winds blew, and beat upon the house. And notice, it fell not. 
How does a mature Christian make it through the trials and temptations and the storms of life? How do you make it through financial problems, through marital problems, through problems in your health, and and, and continue to serve God and love God and stay faithful? How do you not fall apart during a storm? When you hear my sayings, Jesus said, and you do them, I will liken you unto a man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. But notice verse 26. Here's most Christians. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not. You heard it, but you didn't apply it. You heard it, but you said, that's not for me. You heard it, but you said, that's for someone else. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the flood came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. See, people say, well, I've been coming to church for like two years, and I've been coming faithfully, and now I've got this storm in my life, and everything fell apart. The Word of God is not powerful. No, 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 it's not the Word of God that's not powerful. It's that you heard it, but you never applied it. It's that you heard it, you were taught it, but you never, you were a hearer, but not a doer. And James says, you've got to be a doer of the word. You don't have to go back to Psalm 119, but in Psalm 119 and verse 28, the Bible says this, My soul melteth for heaviness, strengthen thou me according to thy word. See, the strength comes from the word of God. You say, how do I get strength to make it through the trials? Through the word of God. You say, well, I hear it, but are you applying it? Are you doing it? Here's the question I have for you. When's the last time that you heard something in church or in your Bible reading or on a sermon and you said, wow, that identified something in my life that I'm not doing or that I am doing that I shouldn't be doing or that, you know, I need to get this right or I need to get that right. When's the last time that something was preached and then you said, not only did I hear it, but I'm actually going to go do that because most Christians just hear never do. Can you, get to, can you go to Ezekiel chapter 33 with me? Ezekiel, uh, towards the end of the Old Testament, you got those major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 33. Let me show you a picture of the average church in America. And would to God that this would not be an illustration of Verity Baptist Church, but who knows? In Ezekiel 33, you find a very interesting story. And it's kind of a sad story for Ezekiel the prophet. But it's, it's, it's very true. Ezekiel chapter 33, look at verse number 30. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 30, the Bible says this. Also thou, son of man. Son of man is a phrase that is used throughout the book of Ezekiel to refer to Ezekiel, the prophet, the preacher. He says, also thou, son of man. The children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses. Now here's what, here's what God is telling Ezekiel. Ezekiel just got done preaching. They just had church. And God comes to Ezekiel and says, Hey, Ezekiel, let me tell you something. The people that were at the church service, the children of thy people, they're still talking about you in the walls and in the doors of the houses. They're still talking about the sermon that you preached. Notice, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, notice what they said, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. Ezekiel was a preacher, and he was preaching the Bible, and people were saying, hey, listen, you ought to come to this church. You ought got to come listen to Ezekiel. This guy's preaching the Bible. He's not messing around. Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh from the Lord. They were excited that Ezekiel was getting up and preaching the Bible. 
But here's the problem. Verse 31. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words. Praise the Lord. Praise God they're coming. Praise God they're sitting. Praise God they're excited for the sermon. They come and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. And God says to Ezekiel, your ministry is in vain. He said, I'm glad you got a crowd. He said, I'm glad you had 115 people there on Sunday morning. But you're preaching the Bible and they're excited to hear the Bible. But these people will hear and they will not do. They will hear, but they will not apply. They'll say, oh, that good. That's good. That soul winning thing. That's good. Or that Bible reading thing. Oh, that's good. That marriage thing. Oh, that's good. That Bible stuff. Oh, that's good. But I'm not going to do it. Not me. And he says, they come unto thee as the people, and they sit before thee as my people. They hear the words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. Someone said to me when I was a teenager, they said, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And as Christians, we like to talk a lot about how much we love God. But when push comes to shove and we've got to make a decision that might cost us something, who we really love is show. And it's usually us. It's usually self. Because we like to hear the words, but we will not do them. Look at verse 32. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song. God is telling Ezekiel, you're, you're good. You're good at what you do, Ezekiel. You're an eloquent speaker. You're dynamic. He said, he said, Lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear thy words. Ezekiel, as, uh, people are saying, man, you're great. Man, you are talented. Man, I love those sermons. I love those preach. I've never heard the Bible preach like you preach it, Ezekiel. But they do them not. It's the problem. See, you can hear the Bible preach. You have the greatest most eloquent Bible expositor, get up and preach the word of God. Hey, the Lord Jesus Christ himself can preach the Sermon on the Mount to you. And if you hear the words and don't do them, you are a fool. And your house will fall apart when the storm comes. Because it's not about hearing the word. It's about doing it. It's about applying it. It's about saying, oh, wow, that's what I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm not doing, so I'm going to start doing it. Or that's what I'm not supposed to be doing, and I am doing, so I'm going to stop doing it. Verse 33, and when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. Talking about the judgment, talking about the storm, talking about the trials. Then shall they know that the prophet hath been among them. So he says, Ezekiel, you entertain them. Ezekiel, they like you. Ezekiel, they enjoy your preaching. But here's the problem with these people, is that they hear and they will not do is that they listen, but they will not apply. And James teaches us, and Jesus teaches us, that we are not yet only to hear the words, but we are to do them and apply them. Because here's the thing. The same word that has the power to save you has the power to transform you, but the key is to do what you hear. Can you get back to James chapter 1? Look at verse 25. James chapter 1 and verse 25. Notice what he says. James 1.25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's talking about the word of God. Remember, do you see how he says look? Because he's using this illustration that it's a mirror. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty 
and continueth therein, continueth there where? In the law of liberty. He, being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So what is the key to being blessed by God? What is the key to having the blessings of God? What is the key to having transformation in my life? It's not enough to hear. It's enough, you must hear and do. And by the way, being a doer of the word means you are a doer of the work. Do you see verse 25 there? But whoso looketh into that perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a, I want you to notice this phrase, a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. Who gets blessed in their deeds? The doer of the work. Go back to verse 22. Notice what he says. But be ye doers of the what? Word. You say, well, how do I know when I am a doer of the word when you are a doer of the work? If you're not working, you're not doing. You're not doing the word if you're not doing the work. And you know what? I've been amazed as a pastor how it's interesting how a Christian will go from a pretty good Christian, from a kind of faithful Christian, from a kind of, you know, Christ-like individual to a very consistent, faithful, great Christian. And what happens? What's the difference is some people work. When someone decides, I'm going to volunteer, I'm going to work, I'm going to go soul winning, I'm going to actually do something. I'm not just going to sit in here, but I'm going to actually apply something and do something. It's interesting how immediately they begin to grow as a Christian. Because to be a doer of the work will make you a doer of the word. And you cannot be a doer of the word if you're not a doer of the work. Look at verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious... And bridleth not his tongue. We're going to talk more about the tongue when we get to chapter 3. But deceiveth his own heart. This man religion is vain. Now, I want you to notice there's a, he, he brings this up a couple times, deceiving his own heart. Look at verse 22 again. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. See, the only one you're fooling is you. Say, oh, no, no, I'm spiritual. I, you know, I come to church and I hear the Bible preached on a regular basis. That doesn't make you spiritual. That doesn't make you mature. That makes you a hearer. What makes you mature is to become a doer. And you can fool yourself and say, well, I go to church. I don't go soul winning. I don't read the Bible. I don't ever do anything. I don't volunteer for anything. I definitely don't want to. I just want to sit and listen. And that will make me feel mature. But listen to me. The only person you're fooling is yourself. You're not fooling God and you're not fooling us. <laughs> He says, deceiving his own heart. He says, you're deceiving your own selves. He says, you're fooling yourself when you are the fool that builds your house upon the sand. Notice verse 27. Pure religion. And people like to talk against this word religion, and they like to say, oh, religion is man-made. Look, the Bible says here that you can have pure religion. Now, vain religion... This man's religion is vain, verse 26, when he seems to be religious. He seems spiritual. Oh, they can talk real spiritual. They can tell you all about how spiritual I am. And I'm the greatest husband. And I'm the greatest wife. And I submit to my husband. And I'm the greatest parent. And I'm this. You seem real spiritual, but you're not actually doing anything. He said, look, you're only fooling yourself. But pure religion, I notice, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Notice, you say, what is pure religion? To visit the fatherless and his widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world, both action words. 
So how do I have pure religion? You actually have to do something. See, to visit someone, you have to get up, go somewhere, knock on the door. To keep yourself, you have to actually keep yourself away or remove that which is unspotted from the world. See, it's not enough to hear about visiting. It's not enough to hear about keeping yourself unspotted from the world. It's not enough to hear sermons about, you know, charity and love and doing right and getting right with God and evangelism and all those things. It's not enough to hear it. You've got to do it. And there's two kinds of Christians in this world. Those that hear and those that do. And on one side, you've got immature children. And on the other side, you've got mature Christians. Because when James is teaching us about maturity and becoming a Christian that will not waver, that will not be unstable, he says you must be a doer of the word. So tomorrow morning, when you get up and you get dressed because you're going to work or you're going to school or you're going to the grocery store or you're doing whatever, and you look at that physical mirror that you've got hanging in your bathroom or hanging in your you know, bedroom or whatever, and you look at your hair and you fix your hair and you look at your teeth or whatever it is that you do, remember to pick up the spiritual mirror and look inside of it. And when God identifies things in your life that need to be removed, don't go off and straightway forget. But say, you know what? I'm actually going to fix that. I'm actually going to rearrange that. I'm actually going to do something about that. Because in order to be a mature Christian, and in order to have the powerful, transforming Word of God change you, you can't just hear. You must do. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.